Hello folks, this is Wayno Drano, and this is the Wayno Drano Disclaimer. This episode has extreme violence and extreme sexual content that only Dice Clay, Otto and George, and other dirty East Coast comics will not be offended by. This is not a podcast for children. This is one episode. It doesn't reflect the philosophy of the whole series. These twisted poetic words have been written here for effect, not to reflect the overall content of the series and or book. The graphic novel will not have any of these passages in it, and all these lines were created for angry, despicable, fictional characters struggling with loss, ignorance, and rage. And then the protagonist's case, dealing with the emotional pitfalls of human existence while searching for a redemption. Some of these theatrical lines do not reflect the philosophical or political views of the Psycho Surfer podcast creative team, including the writer. In these trying real times, we as the human race have a lot more important things to be angry about than mere fictional comic book stories. If you feel you're going to be offended after hearing this disclaimer, please do not listen to the podcast. Thank you. Written and directed by Wayne Anton Novelli. Music score by Paso Zapanti. Comic book illustration for graphic novel. Created by the artist Wayne Odrano. Produced by Wayne Anton Novelli. And James Warhalla. With effects music by Weed Killer. In association with Vince Sabia and Socialitize Social Media Development Group Incorporated. Episode 9 Nick's mother throws punches at his ex girlfriend Ava while Nick gains a financial windfall by scaling the classics. And on the other side of town, his great-grandmother, Grambo, decided to shoot up the men's Sicilian social club over a debt owed to her. As you can guess by now, if you've been listening to my deranged mental ramblings, my family wasn't the conventional Brady Bunch. In my case, they were more like a Brady Punch. Especially the women in my life. Like my mother. My mother wasn't the only hard Sicilian woman in my childhood there to either emasculate, control, and momoize me. Also on the demachoing front, my great-grandmother, who we nicknamed Grambo, because of her extreme toughness, dedicated survival skills, and she was pretty lethal with a boning knife, she also had a good hand in dementing my childhood. She lived with us after she lived alone for several decades, after she escaped from the old country in 1918, and her husband Lucio wasn't strong enough to survive the trip to Ellis Island. Instead, 
because he wasn't a good Sicilian Gabados mind warrior, and he was weak in will, he lost in the game of life and was vanquished early and never reached the promised land of America. Named after Italian explorer, America Vespucci, which meant the Sicilians were blessed by God to murder their way to the top and conquer the fertile land known to our tribe as the land of milk and money. At least that's the way my Basuna would tell the story over Christmas dinner as she surgically carved up the turkey. I always remembered Grambo from one of my favorite stories from when I was a real little kid. When my mother and her were going shopping around Halloween time in October in our classic 69 green Dodge Dart. And I had to tag along for two reasons. One, I was seven and my mother would never leave me alone with a babysitter in those days because she thought they all were pedophiles. And two, there was no way my father would watch me because he was too busy taking care of family business. You know, robbing, shylocking, extorting, and of course, murdering people. I could always hear and see the scene in my head where my father and his goons would be down by the loading docks where the dock workers would be working across the river and they would have one of their victims all bound and duct taped up and they were about to grease him by the water so they didn't have to carry him too far to dump the body because they were all lazy fat fucks anyway and I could hear in my father's voice as he would put his gun to the poor schmuck's head and tell a joke to one of his goons standing there snickering probably the only time he ever told a joke in his life and it would go like this hey Sonny why couldn't the chicken cross the road and Sonny would retort why that boss and then my father would say because I fucking killed it before I told this fucking stupid joke oh then he would pull the trigger and blast the guy's brains all over the docks like a single colored crimson red Jackson Pollock painting just waiting to be hosed off into the river to be fish food later on so there is no evidence left behind that's why my father never babysat me plus he was too important amongst his peer group namely his Cro-Mag Capos to trivialize himself with women's work like watching the children and he did all his murdering as my uncle Sonny stood blah-boobing in the background rambling on about all his past fucked up relationships. Married to this first woman named Deborah in 1990. And I suspected for many years while I was going out with her, there's a point to the story. And you have to hear the whole story of why I wanted to and threatened to kill her and she deserved it. While I was going out with her from 1988 before I married in 1990, she had told me a story, and I, this may be long-winded, but you really have to hear the whole story to understand my anger and why I want to put two bullets in the back of her head. I also was on a mission with Grambo. I had stopped by her house for a fitting. She was going to make me a costume for Halloween, which was going to be the next day. You'd think even the most talented seamstress designer would need at least a couple of days to create a top-notch costume for Halloween so the other kids wouldn't have any ammunition to fire taunts at you on the street in my old neighborhood. But not my Grambo. She was probably 80 years old at that moment in my life. 
with her hands crippled up with bad arthritis. But that didn't matter to her, with her gabados force field circling around her body, helping her old weathered frame and damaged crippled hands lead the charge to get that costume done in 10 minutes. And not only done ordinarily, like you would think a 10 minute costume would look like from a normal mortal, but Grandpa wasn't an ordinary mortal. She was a wizard with a pair of scissors, zip zip, a snip here, a cut there, and it was done. And it was excellent. Probably one of the most amazing costumes that my punk greaseball friends ever saw in their lives. The costume was of the character Wolverine from Marvel Comics with its own homemade yellow leotard, blue shoulder protectors, and theatrical gloves, and also complete with black and yellow face masks and claws made from the blades of some old boning knives Grambo had worn out over the years. I wonder what or who she had worn them out on. The costume was the coolest one anywhere, and I mean including on TV and in the movies. My Grambo didn't learn how to be so lethal and efficient with a pair of scissors in some mystical ninja sewing camp in the caves of Amafi, whereas a final exam, in order to graduate, you have to battle an opponent, and before you can leave the pit, you have to vivisect your victim at the joints in under three minutes. Which, by the way, after seeing how fast and how well she did that costume, I really believe at that moment she could achieve that task without blinking an eye or missing the lunch bell. No! My great-grandma learned how to sew the hard old-school way, driven by a harder master than a Sicilian warrior monk in a cave, dangling thoughts of redemption and thoughts of paying into a useless preordained society that would not acknowledge her individuality. Her focus and talent were driven by poverty, one of the cruelest and greatest teachers of all. She had come over on the immigrant boat, lost her husband to consumption, then was instantly sent into the garment district by a cousin in New York and got a nickel address as pay in those days. She became so good at sewing dresses that within five short years she made enough money to buy her own two-family house. She had rented the upstairs to an older man who was close to her age and also from Sicily. His name was Dominic. My mother and I were never sure, but we always thought she was having an affair with Dominic because they were always together and they always seemed to have created the illusion that they were dating. Dominic lived there for years, well into his and my grandbo's 80s. I can picture Dominic probably asking her to marry him somewhere down the line, and I also see her turning him down. Because then, she would have, have had to share her money and property with him, and that was never gonna happen. Because you see, in my family, there is no romance or love in any human relations. It's all just a business transaction. We don't complicate life with difficult emotional responses like empathy or joy. We barrel through it with a cold gunner's hand. We're like Mr. Spock, the Vulcan hitman. There is no emotion. My family looks at non-family members as commerce. Something you could prey on, like a vampire. I seem to be the only retard in a group that at least tried to capture some of these unobtainable goals, like love in my life. My grandpa didn't understand love, 
she understood money and the secure feeling you can get from having a lot of it so she didn't see Dominic as a lover she saw him as a tenant with benefits he could be her companion and she could bang him on the side like an escort that she didn't have to pay and Grambo didn't fool around her name might have been Melina from my mother's side but in her heart she was a novella a stone-cold killer I remember when I was five driving around in my dad's Dodge Dart while going shopping with her and my mother and I was playing on the floor in the back seat and I reached under my mother's driver's seat and I pulled out a gun a 45 caliber pistol I thought it was a toy so I started waving it around and my mother saw me in the rearview mirror playing with it and she had a shit fit she slammed on the brakes and yanked it out of my hands later on that night my mom went off on my father because she thought for sure he had left it in there from one of his little business trips she railed at him but he denied that the gun was his because he couldn't recognize it my father had a lot of guns but he knew every one of them in detail and he would never leave one of them in the car for the cops to find yeah my father had a lot of weaponry thereby blessed by the sacred high priests of the NRA but he also told a lot of lies my mother didn't believe him of course and chalked up the event to the lifestyle that we all led little did she know but the gun wasn't my father's it was my grandbo's she had borrowed the car one Sunday to go to a picnic with Dominic well that's what she told my mother in reality she needed the car to drive Dominic to go pick up some money owed to him for his past due rent for the month you see my grandbo might have liked and somewhat dated Dominic but she was going to get her money for the rent no matter what she would have kicked his ass to the gutter in a millisecond if he didn't pay up the problem was Dominic started to develop a gambling problem when he played cards down at the Sicilian Club in Newark and he began to lose the rent money even though he might have been a good tenant and friend with benefits to Grambo for 20 years that didn't matter he was gonna pay or he was going to get out that's how Grambo rolled she was old school and she took zero nothing nada in the shit department Dominic said one of the other guys down at the club owed him the rent money and he kept dodging him he wouldn't pay so he didn't know what to do that's when Grambo said what are you a baby you're not a man if someone owes you money you don't beg for it like a whiny little child no you go down there and you take what is yours then Dominic said in broken English well if you think it's so easy why don't you go down there and get the money then Grambo retorted in Sicilian that she would do what must be done then she went and pulled out a 45 from under her bed where she always kept a pistol for protection then she borrowed my father's Dodge Dart and she had Dominic drive her down there to collect the money remember we're talking about an 80 year old lady who was going to go to an OG Sicilian gambling club with a loaded handgun and get her money and she did 
The way the story was told for years later, in true OG style, women of that time weren't taught to drive a car, but they could handle a pistol or a shotgun while they rode shotguns. So Dominic stayed in the car as the getaway driver, and Grandpa walked into the building packing. After she went into the club, it was quiet for a minute, then you heard her screaming something in Italian. Several gunshots went off, and then it got quiet again. Then Grandpa walked out of the building very calmly, like Steve McQueen in The Magnificent Seven, with a smoking pistol in one hand and a bag full of money in the other. The legend goes, told by some bystander in the room at the time, that Grambo walked into an active card game, and because of her appearance as a five-foot-tall old grandma type, they all thought she was the cleaning lady. Little did they know that she really wasn't there to clean the floors like Hazel, but she was really there to clean out the shit-furred old geezer gangsters like Ray Donovan. Grambo instantly went up to the guy who owed Dominic the money and asked for it in a Sicilian dialect. The old gangster thought it was a joke and laughed at her. That's one thing in life you just don't do. You never mess with Leroy Brown and you never laugh at Grambo. One millisecond after he laughed, Grambo started blasting. Instantly as the gunfire began, all those old-time Ginzo tough guys hit the floor and hid under the gambling tables, begging for their lives. That's when Grambo grabbed her money out of the winnings from the guy who owed it to Dominic at the table, and then Grambo just walked out quietly. There was no retribution against her from those old gangsters, because she was blind as a bat, and probably couldn't hit the side of the Empire State Building with a gun if she tried. At close range, she missed all the guys playing cards at the table that night. And they realized later, when the gun smoke cleared, that the money she took from the game was owed to her through the debt owed to Dominic by the cowering capo hiding under the table. So, in the old school Sicilian code, when something is owed to you, you're allowed to get it by any means possible. That is the 11th commandment sent down from God to the Sicilians. It wasn't sent down to Moses because he was a Jew. And God, the Sicilians, and the angels were worried he was going to skim too much money off the top because he wasn't Sicilian. Yeah, the mob never took a hit out of my great-grandmother, but Dominic was a different story. A few years later, after the club incident, Dominic disappeared. For years, we all thought he just lost one bet too many, and they whacked him. But that wasn't the truth. Several years later, in her 90s, when Grambo was still living alone in her two-family house, the top floor was left vacant, since Dominic disappeared for 10 years. Later on, after Grambo started losing her marbles from dementia, my mother decided to have her live her last years of life with us. Not because my mother really cared about her lineage, but because my mother figured by having Grambo live with us, she will reveal to my mother where all her money was hidden. The money, after all, was the booty prize that every up-and-coming American wants and needs from their elders. In the civilian legal world, it's called inheritance. Plus, my mom could rifle through her house 
and grabbed whatever she could get before she put it up on the market. I'll never forget, when we were cleaning out her things and putting them into boxes when in her bedroom, I noticed she had a bookcase the size of the wall, loaded with over a hundred antique books like Catcher in the Rye and War and Peace. I'll never understand why she had those books. She could barely speak English. Never mind read English literature. So I asked my mother, could I have a couple of these classics to keep so I could read them someday? Yeah, I was the weirdo kid who liked to actually read books, not only use them as wall decorations. Yeah, I like to read things besides the obituaries, football pool sheets, or the front page news blips about the mob running New Jersey, which to me was like a high school yearbook filled with personal family clippings. The books had no financial worth, so my mother didn't even think of pawning them. The thought process never even entered through her Gabado's force field range, and I doubted my mother really cared about books at all in her life. She probably never even looked at a book, never mind read one, except while being forced to at school, or unless it was a catalog to buy shit from, or it was a copy of Italian Vogue so she can look at the pictures and acquire outfits that would never fit in our hardcore industrial cul-de-sac lifestyle with the other working class toxic proletariats. Yeah, my mother didn't look at the books like they were pirate booty that she could plunder. As she picked the bones of Grambo's old house, she handed me a bunch of empty cardboard boxes and told me to take the books I wanted and box up the rest of them and drop them off at the Salvation Army. I started to take the boxes down from the highest shelves, which were about 14 feet high in the air. Remember, Grambo's house was built at the turn of the 20th century, when the immigrants were physically small, and the ceilings were high, and the houses were huge. It was the opposite in the later days, before all of society was destroyed, right before the apocalypse. All the people at the end, before the bomb sit, were taller, and the houses were smaller and more expensive, and life was shittier at the end. I really wanted those books, but my deep thoughts and scaling problems didn't make a difference at that moment, because all my mother wanted was a ladder to eradicate thoughts on pages and claim her prize. Because I didn't have a ladder, and my Gabado's mother had to have her prize, I had to use all my artful, improvisational skills I acquired from the short period of time I was a comedian on the road with Otto. So I had to Spider-Man my way up the bookcase by climbing it freeform, like I was climbing Mount Rushmore without a Sherpa or a rope, feeling like a booger in Teddy Roosevelt's nostril. As I climbed the bookcase, I was ascending through the heights of knowledge. I should have felt like Cary Grant in Hitchcock's film North by Northwest, but instead, with my motherly damaged self-esteem, I felt like Booger Bob, one of the garbage pail kids, painted by James Warhola. As I clawed my way up the wall of books, foot by foot, I saw a vast array of titles that I wanted. I saw a hard copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter Thompson, right next to 1984 by George Orwell, and I had to have them both. So I scaled Mount Neverest, and I just got my fingertips on the books, and I almost had them in my grasp. Instead, I lost my footing with my Chuck Taylor black Converse high tops, 
and I tumbled to the floor, onto my ass, as several books were pulled free and plummeted onto me in a literal literary avalanche. As me and my ass hit the ground, with several classic pieces of literature raining down on me, the books in my ass made a crashing noise that could wake up the walking dead. That's when my mother came in screaming. What are you doing, trying to bust up the place? That's when I explained to her that I had no ladder and I was improvising to get the books that I wanted, like an excited little kid with zero impulse control right out of Dr. Phil. My mother was just about to lay into me about how I was going to fuck up an expensive Egyptian rug with my ass blood when she noticed something on the floor. It was a crisp, clean $100 bill that had flown out of one of the books, like a golden ticket out of a Willy Wonka chocolate bar. Because Grambo could barely speak English, never mind read it, the book was untouched, sitting there pristine, yet dust covered for the decades. The book was Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens, and it was filled with a ton of dust that seemed to layer on it for the ages, to the point that the book looked as old as the Dickensian story itself. Even though the book looked ancient, the $100 bills looked brand new, but the design of the bills looked old. As I was marveling at the art direction of the bills, my mother came into the room because she thought I was destroying some of her inheritance from her grandmother's house. Not because she was worried about me tumbling onto the floor from 12 feet in the air and injuring myself. No, my mother didn't care about my longevity. She just cared about what was in front of her eyes. And that vision came in the form of a crisp, clean, brand new $100 bill. One of my mother's favorite play toys. After she saw it, her eyes lit up like fireworks on the 4th of July. Then I saw my mother do something that I never saw her do before or again. She had gotten giddy with an expression of joy on her face. She had never expressed joy before, only hardness. When she saw that money, it was like Christmas time in her eyes. The joyous look only lasted a second, and then it washed away with a tidal wave of calculated reality in her world. Then the money-grabbing Sicilian drill sergeant kicked in, and her eyes resumed the black, lifeless, shark-soulless doll eyes that I have known since I was born, and even Quint would have been afraid of. Yes, after a disjointed segue of joy, the methodical terminator instinct of greed kicked in and my mother started to bark out orders. Nikki, Nikki, get your ass off the floor and help me. Come on, help me stop pulling these stupid books off the shelf and help me start looking through them. With my regular confusion towards my mother's moods, I replied, Why, Mom? I thought you didn't give a damn about reading. You always said it was for people who had too much time on their hands. Then my mother dementedly bellowed back. Who gives a shit about reading? I think we found some of Grandma's money. Stop pulling books, jackass. If we find any more, I'll give you a cut. Come on, darling, start grabbing. And with that command, I stalwartly went and assisted my depraved mother, and within seconds, we both started to realize that all the books had hundred dollar bills in them. The Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton 
unrequitedly came flying off the shelf and there were $500 bills that came out of her and put a big smile on my mother's face. The cash was flying out of the books and had given my mother a whole new look at the great writers of literature. She didn't give a fuck what they had to say. She just loved the Benjamins that they had to give her as a vig for being the caretaker of Grambo. And now she was getting her payment as she delved deeper into the greats. Beowulf was good for a grand. Animal Farm, fifteen hundred. Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead was good for twenty-five bills. And of course, Mark Twain had to pay his rent twenty C notes for being there all those decades. You know, Huckleberry Finn might have been banned from libraries for a while for using the word but good old Huck just coughed up 3,000 big ones, so racial equality carries on. All the books had cash in them, but the biggest score of them all was Dr. Seuss. It seems not only did Horton hear a who, he also heard Benjamin Franklin screaming, and the ex-inventor was screaming loudly to the tune of 10 grand, the biggest score for a very thin children's book. In the end, my mom scooped up a hundred grand out of those so-called stupid, useless dust collectors that just stood there on a shelf wasting time. After the literary windfall, my mother got it in her head that her grandmother had more money stashed around her house like all the old Sicilians always did. She made me and my sister Pixilla help her scour the whole house. We never found any more money but in the cellar, my sister found something very interesting. While going through the old dusty chest looking for treasure, my sister, while probing, reached into a deep, dark box in the blackness of the lightless cellar, and instead of pulling out an emerald necklace, she instead, as a consolation prize, pulled out the remains of a human hand. It startled her, because only the bones were left behind. The severed hand must have been put there ages ago. It was probably there for so long that the flesh had disintegrated off and the bones were left behind as a reminder. There was something also left on the metacarpals of the severed hand. It was a man's ring, but not just any man's ring because I recognized it. The ring was Dominic's ring. Grambo's old companion tenant from upstairs. He disappeared at least 15 years ago. My mother always figured he had been whacked as a payback from the fiasco that my great-grandmother caused at the Sicilian Club that day long ago. That's what everyone else thought at the time. But what I think is somewhere down the line, he must have pissed my grandbo off by gambling one time too many. Or maybe being late with the rent or asking to marry her one time too many. And her being the paranoid guinea that she was, Somewhere between the ages of 80 and 98, when she lost her mind and had to come live with us, I think she was the one who whacked him, just to show him how strong she was, and how she didn't need anyone else but herself and her money. Because she never told my mother where she stashed her hidden cash, because even though she was 98, she was smart enough to know the minute she gave up the whereabouts of that cash stash, mysteriously the next day she would have fallen down the stairs and never got up again way worse than the Fox News commercials instead in her mind she figured when she croaked 
because she wouldn't cough up the information, my father and mother would have had to get her money the old-fashioned way and earn it old school, the good, the bad, and the ugly style, by getting a metal detector and scouring her old yard, walls, and floorboards of her house looking for the metal box like the pirates my family were. They never got that box in the time period when I lived with them, but they did get Grandpa to live with them at the end of her life, holding that cash over their heads until her death. And Grandpa didn't die quickly either. She lingered on for years. Hell, she was even there for another infamous story as part of my old life, when Ava stormed into my parents' house while I was sleeping one Sunday afternoon, and she got into a knife fight with my mother. What happens next? Well, I guess you're going to have to stay tuned, because Colonel Blue just slaughtered the squid of want, and now, in his free time, he's eyeing me up like I'm a White Castle Jersey City jerk-off burger that he can slide down his pie hole now that he's worked up an appetite after destroying his prey for the day. Well, rock on all, I gotta paddle my ass out of here. Where is a tidal wave wave when you need one? Well, that's it for this week's show, boys and girls. Stay tuned next week for the next installment of Psycho Surfer of the Apocalypse. And now a word from our sponsors, brought to you by the new hit single, Intoxication, by the band Wayno Drano and the Dysfunctional Alkanauts. Let's play out with the song. Let's do it. Take-